Socialism is as American as apple pie. So you call yourself a democratic socialist. How can any kind of socialist win a general election in the United States? Some Democrats are afraid of the S word. They yeah. feel like that social it, it, it has older Americans hear socialism and they, they tie it to, a, to, to sort of ugly governments right. from Europe and the past. It's not about selling an ism or an ideology or a label or a color. This is about selling our values. Welcome to Talking Strategy, Making History. Just a few years ago, it seemed like nobody was talking about political ideas or politics using terms like socialism, capitalism, or even liberalism. Today, there are more socialists in Congress than at any point in American history. On this season of Talking Strategy, Making History, we're talking about these big ideas and traditions and what use they've been and could be in the future for doing politics in real life. Welcome to Socialism and Its Discontents. Maybe we could start by wondering whether it's a good idea to have embracing visions and big ideas to define uh, politics. You know, there's an American sort of pragmatist uh, problem-solving tradition that says the best way to go is piecemeal <laughs> and hard-headed practicality. Well, I don't think... I mean, you, you and I, Duraka, we're, we're practical guys, but we feel the need to express our uh, engagement with broader visions, transformative visions, uh, big ideas. You know, I was born a red diaper baby, meaning I grew up with parents who were actually communists back in the 1940s and 50s, which got them into a lot of trouble. There was a kind of attitude toward the world that was embracing that did require uh, belief in transformative change, that, that what exists is not what was necessary uh, or inevitable. And uh, when I was growing up, that was a kind of socialism embodied by the, what we came to call the old left, because by the 60s, I was one of the early people who got started on what we were defining as the new left. And one of the key ideas about the new left was not that we didn't want big ideas, but that none of the labels, none of the terms that define left-wing ideology, whether it was socialism or anarchism or pacifism, uh, other isms, were not adequate, that we needed some kind of new perspective with a different name. And uh, we didn't have that name exactly, but somehow that's the, the quest that was defined in, uh, for example, the Port Huron Statement, which I was present at the creation of, uh, which was a manifesto for a new left and never said we were socialists. And that's one of the things I want to explore in this uh, season is why that path was taken in the new left that I was part of and what might be still relevant for that path while we look at this amazing new situation, amazing to older folks like me. It's not only members of Congress, but in some states like New York, there are socialists in the legislature elected as such, socialists in the city council in New York and other cities elected as such. 
organization like Democratic Socialists of America hovering around 100,000 members. I mean, it, you and I remember when it was not even 10,000, not that long ago. And of course, Bernie Sanders running for president, declaring that he was a Democratic Socialist, uh, which we in the 60s would have said would doom his uh, campaign from the start. But it did seem to do the opposite somehow. So we need to look at that. I'm I'm hungry to look at how it is that there's been this complete turnaround around the term socialism. But we still need to question that because part of why I think why we're doing this season of, about socialism is it's very uh, undefined in the current discourse. What, what What do we mean by that word? What do people mean by it? And of course, they mean a number of different things. So uh, I'm skeptical about the word. I'm not skeptical about the search. Well, it begs the question then, I mean, what was the term or the concept that the new left wanted to use instead? Well, the term we was used in the Port Huron statement that was one of Tom Hayden's who wrote the original draft. His term that he got from philosopher Arnold Kaufman was participatory democracy. And the trouble with that term is nobody can even pronounce it, let alone quite understand what it meant. But uh, I'm going to argue through this whole season that it's an important uh, term in setting uh, uh, standards for political vision and political action. It's, it's a term that Kaufman got from John Dewey, the great pragmatist philosopher. And Dewey was a socialist. He was an American socialist, uh, although he rarely identified himself as such. He actually was the chair of something called the League for Industrial Democracy, which is the parent organization of the Students for Democratic Society. Uh, that's uh, when we founded it. So there is a line between Dewey and radical democracy, participatory democracy, as he understood it, and the kind of new left politics that we were uh, trying to reinvent at places like Port Huron. And so this this will be a topic that you know we will really uh, want to get into it, about democracy and uh, socialism and other isms. Well, it seems to me that one of the things that uh, the Sanders moment brought was a a kind of radical honesty uh, and clarity to a conversation that, you know, frankly, I, you know, got kind of muddled, I think, with terms like participatory democracy or economic democracy or the uh, great society and all of these other ways to avoid talking about uh, politics and economics the way the rest of the world was. Um, and talking about socialism and capitalism. Um, and to me, that's one of the great things about this new moment of uh, rehabilitation in a sense of the of the word is that it just seems like finally we can have a kind of conversation without euphemisms um, and, and also a conversation where we defend the terms that the right wing love to vilify and use against us. It has been a, a pretty common thing that the right wing has been able to, uh, you know, organize scorn and opposition to even quite modest 
uh, proposals on social equity by calling it socialist. And the left's response in the United States has been to, you know, jump over backwards to, to prove that it wasn't. I think both making the policy weaker and our position for fighting back in the, the battlefield of ideas weaker as well. And secondly, I think the other reason is, is just that I kind of hit on is that if we're going to judge whether a policy is transformative, really is doing uh, the things that we're hoping it would do to change power uh, and change structure in society, I don't think we can avoid using terms like socialism and capitalism and so forth. Right. I don't disagree with that. But And what fascinates me personally about Bernie is, you know, like me, he's a Brooklyn socialist. But unlike me, he's stuck with the socialist identity uh, even into the 60s. He was a member of the Young People's Socialist League, but I don't think he ever joined Students for Democratic Society. And, you know, I, I feel like his starting point in continuing to hold on to the identity of the label was in part that he, he didn't want to say to the wider public, oh, I used to be a socialist when I was young, but now I'm something more acceptable. His authenticity, I think you were implying that, depended on saying, look, this is what I am, and I think it makes sense in America, uh, which is a tremendous contribution in maturing our way of thinking about what America is about and what politics can be. I think, Daraka, both you and I have taught courses in political sociology and don't really understand, and with good reason, what any of these words really mean or imply. Uh, And uh, I think we both agree it would be a good idea to start this season with a bit of definition. Not that we're going to settle on final definitions, but at least give some, some anchor, some hook for understanding what we're talking about uh, when we use these terms. Um, And, you know, uh, when we talk about socialism, I think uh, one way of looking at it is it's it's the opposite of or the uh, antithesis or the overcoming of capitalism. So maybe we need first to say, what is capitalism? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I think that's a really important place to start and understand that socialism like uh, the names of so many intellectual or political or social movements has been used to describe a whole range of different kinds of politics. Uh, But all of them are in some ways a a response to a solution to or an alternative to capitalism. And capitalism itself is something that, you know, a lot of people would have contention over defining or, uh, or reducing to a, a couple of, of key elements. But I'd say the, the thing that uh, distinguishes capitalism from other kinds of economic systems is that the things that make wealth, the capital, uh, land, uh, in, in, a, in a modern or postmodern economy, you know, uh, information technology and so forth, but the ownership and control of those things is in private hands and in the hands of capitalists. And uh, for the most part, uh, the uh, uh, economic relations are handled through markets. So if you want to get something done in your home or you want to feed your family, you've got to uh, buy labor on a market from somebody else or sell your own labor on a market. 
And and I would just wrap up by saying that the the important thing to understand about capitalism is that the reason that there's a socialist movement or the reason there's an anti-capitalist movement is not just a criticism of that economic system or those that economic reality, but also the impact having a society built on top of those kinds of relationships, that kind of economic system, uh, what kind of, of society that becomes. And a huge part of the impetus to get rid of capitalism or reform capitalism or change it uh, or abolish it um, has been those those social and cultural impacts of a society based on competition, of a society in which inequality uh, is the norm and normalized, a society in which uh, people are uh, discarded or treated as commodities. And so the, the socialist critique of capitalism is more than just that uh, we have an idea that the economy could be organized in a more efficient way, though that's part of it. Well, I would add in that uh, framework and fundamental to it is the idea that even though goods that are produced in an economy are what people need to, in order to live, the purpose of those who are producing the goods is not to supply needs, but to gain a profit that they can control, that they right. own, that they uh, can direct, rather than uh, meeting human needs. So um, if you wanted to say, what is socialism? One of the first answers would be, it's a society in which production is aimed at what people need uh, as a first priority, rather than at uh, profit for individuals producing goods. There might be profit-seeking activity in a social society, but the priority, the fundamental principle, is that people's needs need to be met, and that means all people's needs need to be met through the functioning of the economy, the functioning of the society. Uh, at least that's the goal of socialism. How it comes about, how you can create a society like that is what there's constant conflict and contention and debate and alternative organizations and traditions within that socialist uh, framework. Uh, and that's part of the history of it is that contention. So if we say that you know, capitalism is this system based on competition and private ownership in which we produce things for the sake of profit rather than human need. Socialism is a, an economic system and by extension, a social system, a set of institutions, a set of practices that would put human need at the center of the economy in some way. What, what does that mean for, for yes. ownership in your mind? Like maybe you could take a stab at differentiating between democratic socialism, say social democracy and uh, communism or whatever we want to call the system in the Soviet Union? So I think the, the socialist tradition, when it became fully self-aware in the 19th century, uh, m many of its um, foremost proponents thought that uh, instead of there being individual private ownership of means of production, um, that the public would own uh, the means of production, that the uh, state, in effect, representing the public, uh, would own 
corporations would own businesses would be the uh, agency not only of ownership but of planning. How are human needs to be determined in that 19th century model, uh, if not by market mechanisms under capitalism? And those in, in, in a capitalist framework, human needs are represented by people's uh, mm -hmm. wealth, so to speak. So the richer you are, the more your needs are going to be satisfied, the more you can obtain from the market. Uh, in a socialist model coming from the 19th century, something called planning, government planning, public planning, which means determining needs and allocating investment and resources to meet those needs would happen through discussion, through debate, through observation, through sociology, through social science, through uh, anything but simply market uh, preferences. Those preferences could even exist, but it would be regulated, controlled, directed by experts, by scientific analysis, and by public politics. So socialism, in, in one sense, is plans over markets. Plans over markets and public direction of planning uh, mm -hmm. for the sake of public needs. So if a state is not really democratic, if it's authoritarian, is that still a socialist state? One of the problems with post-Bolshevik revolution communism as it came into being, uh, one of its fundamental problems was the view that authoritarian states could create socialism by direction, uh, that a party could exist that would speak for the people, not necessarily listening to the people in the fullest sense, but knowing better than the people on mass what the people needed. When I put it this way, I think we can see that there was a, a fatal flaw in that reasoning from the beginning. But uh, I don't know, in the early part of the 20th century, and, and even up through much of the 20th century, there were certainly large numbers of people who, in different parts of the world, who thought that that made sense. So the whole idea was that that party-directed kind of authoritarian, top-down model would be replaced as the people became more educated, knowledgeable, self-aware, and conscious. So it's just a, 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 another way to look at it as a vanguard theory that the specially trained and specially uh, insightful communists, and Marx had some of this idea himself, but not really to the degree that people like Lenin advocated it, uh, uh, that that elite was necessary to get the ball rolling, to, to move things beyond capitalism through direction. And uh, the consequences of that have been dire in many ways. Uh, um, I guess people could still debate the relative merits of the Soviet, Chinese, Cuban et al. model, but I think that... And indeed they do. And they do. But anyway, so from the point of view of real, po real politics... I've just described what I think might be meant by communism in the 19th century. The reason it had such fervor behind it, I think, was that the vision of communism expressed by Marx uh, 
and Engels in the Communist Manifesto and other writings, and by other utopian socialists, the vision was of a final stage of human social development in which there would be no masters and servants, no domination, no authority, that people would be capable of uh, mutual support, collective uh, awareness, cooperation, and rationality because the goods that they could produce would be so well distributed. No one would have uh, material need. People could be, as Marx said, uh, fishermen and farmers in the daytime and critics at night, intellectuals at night. Ideas like that were what communists who were devoted to communism as politics believed they were getting the ball rolling to achieve. It wasn't simply to protect a state, authoritarian state. It was the state was a transition to something truly beautiful that all human beings would flourish within. I don't know very many people who advocate that now because the 20th century was a time of such disillusionment with the practice of these. Well, I think, you know, something that you suggested that because there had been this lull of, of talking about socialism uh, in any kind of really public way in the United States for so many decades. On the one hand, that swept away, t- let time pass after the demise of the Soviet Union and the, and the height of the Cold War for a new generation of people without all of that baggage to discover these ideas and these terms, um, which is great. But on the other hand, it also means people without the baggage of the political or the historical experience of seeing uh, what the Soviet Union was and so forth, um, uh, discovering these ideas um, and making their way through them. And uh, and, and I actually think a, a reminder about that disillusionment is, uh, is important. Um, Absolutely. Uh, because people are finding their way to, I think, the... The, the the less democratic and less, uh, I think, less useful uh, nooks and crannies of socialist history and socialist theory. I think it would be a betrayal of so many people who sacrificed themselves in the last 150 years to forget the lessons that could be learned from their, what they tried and what they succeeded and failed to do. And the failure is really important uh, in, in to understand. It's a failure that brings that I think we can discover hope within, but the hope has to be based on real conscious, deep understanding of where the traps are. Uh, and, the, and to me, one of the main traps is that vanguard idea that a small, relatively small group of people can take the place of the people at large and figure out what they need and then uh, make them take it uh, in one way or another. We didn't really distinguish, and it's important, democratic socialism, I think its its roots are in the idea that a, a democratic state in the conventional sense could become, uh, with the people voting for it, uh, a instrument of the kind of transformation that uh, socialism vision implied. And I think the way I look at social democracy as a different shaded approach is that social democrats historically at least were saying we don't know if we can make a transformative politics work 
given uh, what we've been learning about various kinds of resistances and burdens and barriers, but we can make reform within capitalism that would evolve, lead to an evolution towards something beyond capitalism or a capitalism with a human face that did put human need above profit, even though you still had private ownership and and markets. Well, that distinction sounds kind of fuzzy. It is fuzzy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to make the, I'm going to make the case for the fuzziness of that, that distinction. I mean, I, because I think that the, the clearer distinction here in the socialist political tradition is really between those who want to achieve socialist goals in the context of a, of a formal democracy and those who, uh, who, yeah, who think an undemocratic state, an undemocratic system can achieve that better or, 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 or is the only way to achieve it. And that, to me, is the most important distinction. Once you move on to the realm of let's do socialist politics, uh, I, I think that the, the similarities outweigh the differences um, once you start looking at it in practice. So we've talked about socialism, different socialism, democratic and, and otherwise, uh, about communism, um, and, and about those movements as a response to capitalism, to the failures uh, of capitalism, but there are other non-socialist political traditions, and I and I just want to really quickly uh, talk about those because we'll be using them uh, throughout this discussion to to contrast socialist politics from other kinds of politics. Uh, and and the first term that I think we need to get a, a handle on, it's very difficult, is liberalism. And liberalism is a word that is especially, you could say, abused. Uh, here in the United States, where we use it in colloquial ways uh, that are almost contradictory. Uh, for example, um, it's very common to read a newspaper uh, article here in the United States that describe you know Bernie Sanders as the most liberal senator, uh, and 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 to use liberalism just as a stand-in for the term left, maybe or uh, left of center. Uh, so that a, a very liberal person would be in the socialist left and a not-so-liberal person would be, I don't know, in the center left. It's a very confusing way to use the term because uh, liberalism is also a political movement with content, with ideas, specific ideas about the world. And I would say the working definition that I'm going to use, uh, uh, that, that I, I think we can use in this conversation, for liberalism is an ideology that... Uh, emphasizes the liberation, the freedom of the individual and the ability of the individual to pursue happiness, to pursue uh, whatever it is they they identify individually uh, as their personal goals. And there's a, a right-wing, you could say, expression of that that very much emphasizes the role that government plays in our economic life and wanting the, the economy to be... Uh, you know, mainly driven by free interactions between individuals. That's the liberalism that is very powerful here in the United States, for example, uh, in both parties. But there's also a liberalism that in Europe would be called a social liberalism that recognizes that individual humans exist in communities and that they need, there need things to be provided to them in order for freedom to make any sense. And that, that's a liberalism that you can see in the New Deal, uh, in the tradition of social liberals in uh, in Scandinavia, in the Netherlands, even in, in Britain and Canada. 
So these are liberals who believe in a welfare state, who believe in some amelioration for the inequalities of capitalism, especially here in the United States, are, are the folks who support the policies that socialists also support. Um, and I think that's a really important distinction for talking about the role of socialism in the United States, that liberals are not the enemy, though they're not always allies or friends. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think it's, you know, I could throw in some additional points here. One is is the emphasis on individual freedom uh, not defined by property rights, as, as classic liberalism did, but defined by the Bill of Rights uh, in this country, by the First Amendment, by the right of each human being to be free in their capacity to think and to express themselves and to gather together to uh, make their uh, grievances heard. Uh, all these things that were in the you know, Bill of Rights are fundamental ideas that, uh, that you could call liberal because they so much emphasize individual freedom as a central value. The problem with the word liberal sounds, could mean moderate, that the real committed people for human freedom are more radical, are the socialists, are, uh, and a liberal is someone who won't commit themselves to the degree necessary to bring the change. But see, I think that's a really unuseful usage. I agree, but it's still used, and I wanted to bring it forward just to say mm -hmm. that we, we, we won't use it that way, but it's a term that was current in the like civil rights movement in the 60s, talking about white liberals. And that's because there was a specific kind of behavior that shouldn't have been called liberalism, but because it was a betrayal of liberalism, but it was the kind of behavior that that Martin Luther King criticized when he wrote a letter from Birmingham jail, uh, the idea of moderate going slow mm -hmm. about achieving human rights slowly, gradually, incrementally. Uh, and, you know, uh, but it, you're right, it's so confusing because for people on the left, liberal can mean something negative you're, uh, I think I agree with you, trying to rescue the word because it represents a tradition of feeling and of thought that emphasizes human freedom as a central value. I think what the socialists, what socialists say to liberals in that connection is it's not enough to claim it in the abstract. You've got to make sure that the society provides those opportunities with full equality and access for everybody, not just for those who are able to take advantage of opportunities that exist. That's the dialogue, maybe. Um, I mean, there's conservatism. How would you define that? Well, conservatism is a political ideology, political force that actually agrees with the inequalities that both liberalism and socialism have fought against. Um, conservatism is a, is a belief that traditional divisions of power, uh, ro social roles, uh, whether those are handed down uh, from religious authorities or uh, state authorities or just, just sort of ethno-historic authorities, um, conservatism argues that the, the way we've always done things is the right way to do them simply on the basis that because we've always done them that way. Um, 
And so that's a political tradition that actually isn't in itself that strong in the United States, or at least we would say you can't just be a conservative and get very far in the United States because uh, the ideas of liberalism and the and the little guy being able to get ahead and so forth are so pervasive on both the left and the right in the U.S. and among both major parties. So conservatives in the U.S. always also have some liberal tendencies um, uh, where they believe that capitalism, uh, if it's if it's you know managed correctly, uh, lets everybody have an equal shot and so forth. A, a traditional, truly conservative attitude, right, is that the people who have already got theirs uh, deserve it, and uh, and and everybody who doesn't is there, you know, because of their own uh, failings or uh, or lack of fortitude, etc. So you know, and certainly. Plenty of people on the right in the United States also make arguments like that, um, but it's always leavened, mixed together with some kind of liberal populism, and that, that's a very interesting thing about American politics. But I, I, I wanted to sort of put this on the list of definitions and bring it to to bear because a real kind of raw, explicit uh, conservatism is is really back in politics in a way that it hasn't. Uh, played a role in in politics both in the United States and Europe uh, since World War II. Um, the you know fascism was an explicitly conservative politics in that um, it didn't make you know it was hostile to democracy whether liberal or socialist, um, and and that's back in politics this this authoritarian uh, desire to evade political conflict by putting in a strong man or someone of the right religion. Uh, etc., uh, is is playing a really big role in day-to-day politics uh, in a pretty terrifying way. Um, and, uh, and, and I think is just, you know, worth beating. I don't think that conservatism needs to play any kind of role in democratic politics in a way that even as a socialist, I would say it's good to have liberals around. I agree with that, but I, I would focus it a little more by saying the essence of conservatism that what holds a lot of its threads together is a belief that certain kinds of hierarchy and conservatives may differ on which kinds are necessary for a decent society that the good society is one that uh, where people know their place and their places and that could be patriarchy or it could be slavery or it could be and the reason conservatism embraces traditional liberalism here is that they're defending the authority of capitalists, uh, you know, of corporate power of that hierarchy vis-a-vis workers, vis-a-vis communities. Uh, and what liberalism claims to be for human freedom, the conservatism says uh, the, the natural order is one where some are really good at making money and they should be allowed to have that freedom because that, but that means others will have to subordinate themselves to that. So military authority, you know, every kind of authority, patriarchal within the family, patriarchal within the society at large, uh, uh, and not all conservatives believe in all of those hierarchies, uh, but fascism, it seems to me, is uh, almost built into that way of thinking of conservatism. If if it's the case that people who are in power 
who are feeling threatened believe that at all costs they have to defend uh, their, their control, their domination, uh, then all values that, uh, that would weaken that power are to be abandoned. It's pretty scary when those points of view are articulated, but the, you're right, we're hearing them being articulated here and in other countries now in a way that I haven't heard uh, you know, since the Hitler Mussolini days. So there's one more uh, ism that, or maybe two more, anarchism. Uh, I think it's really, uh, you know, I'm part of me is an anarchist. I, I learned this in the 60s, uh, learned that I was something of an anarchist. And the central point here is that, uh, to me, the anarchist uh, perspective at bottom uh, fundamentally it says if you want to bring about change then try to create this, the, the kind of human relationships that you imagine should be here try to create it in the world now in some sense don't rely on politics in the usual sense don't rely on government uh, a group of people who want to change education, let's say, should get together and form a school, form a free school that puts into practice what they're, uh, what they're envisioning. If you want to create a uh, affordable housing that people can control, all the people living there can control, well, do it. Create cooperative housing. Uh, it's good to have uh, government support or legislation that might help that, but regardless, in the, in the full anarchist sense, go ahead and do it. You want to create a uh, cooperative work situation, then go ahead and um, try to create that enterprise. And of course, the problem is the larger society, if it's not hospitable or if its logic works against those things, mean these experiments are rarely permanent or long-term effective. But the beauty of the action this way, to me, is that it at least points, hopefully, for what could happen, that people, at least for a certain period of time, were able to create something uh, distinctive that points in new directions in human relationships. I think that needs to be taken seriously. And what Port Huron's statement is sort of reaching for is how can we incorporate that spirit into the uh, framework of the left uh, that we were given more than it was present before? Rather than wait simply for political change, what can we do directly? The sit-ins in the South had that flavor. Anarchism and, pa anarchism and pacifism fused. The, you know, a lot of the civil rights direct action tradition has some roots in, in that anarchist tradition. I think, you know, I've learned to embrace all of these traditions as having something to learn from and all of them being also somewhat limited. But we can discuss these as we proceed in our quest this, uh, this season, Duraka. Great. So what, what are the other things we want to talk about um, uh, as we move forward? Yeah, well, I, uh, in addition to talking, uh, I do feel like I want to spell out some of what the new left meant to try to do and why it failed without giving a full lecture on this, but just trying to explore some of that, uh, either 
in our dialogue or maybe with people that we can find who will share the dialogue with us. Um, and maybe we would, in the broader sense, want to talk about some of the history of socialism as a movement and as, a, as an ideology in the American context. Uh, what does it mean to talk about American exceptionalism? Uh, I think a case can be made, and I'd like to see us make it, uh, that, that Michael Harrington tried to make, which is that we've had more socialism in this country's history than, than is recognized, and that that's important because we can build on that and learn from it. Uh, it's not just imported from overseas. It's a set of practices and ways of thinking that have a lot of roots here. Excellent. Well, I, you know, I'm always interested in socialism in practice. Like, what does it mean? What, what differentiates a socialist administration from something else? And I want to talk about uh, what, uh, you know, government policy looks like in places where there's a stronger socialist movement. Um, so I'm going to be in Sweden next month in October uh, for work. So plan to pull together a little roundtable of social Democrats and, and, and others uh, in Sweden to talk about, you know, what, what, what does it really look like to have a, a society and an economic system that was shaped not just by capitalists and liberals? Um, you know, not a socialist society, still, you know, very much a capitalist society, um, but one with uh, socialist attributes. So let's let's dig down and look at, you know, what what is what are those policies like? How were they achieved? Um, what kind of threat and stress are they under uh, today um, as, uh, you know, social Democrats continue to be politically viable in Scandinavia, but not nearly as hegemonic or powerful as they were just a few decades ago. Right. And I think we can also say uh, uh, that there are things that have happened in our history and, and right now in this country that we can learn something from beyond capitalism, next system kind of uh, ventures and things that people are doing uh, are, uh, and highlight those. And there are numbers of people out there who are doing such experiments or doing such politics that we might begin to tap into. I think also, uh, I would. I think we both agree that it would be great to have a, a roundtable of. We, I'm very old, and you you aren't, but you think you're getting older. Most people do imagine. I, I can prove it. I can <laughs> and then prove there are younger doing. people who identify as socialists, and it would be maybe fascinating to have a roundtable of people of uh, different layers of age, different generational layers, uh, who who identify as socialists. And let's talk about what do we mean by it? Why is why that identification, mm -hmm. uh, and and what uh, what they're trying to make of that? So I think that's something that's going to be on our our agenda. Excellent. And of course, we, we really want to get input from our listeners um, so that we're not just talking about the things that interest us. Um, I think that uh, Dick and I could probably have uh, a, a pretty fun conversation just um, for the two of us about uh, any number of uh, sets of minutes from some historical uh, political organization. Uh, but we want to know what is uh, actually a, a burning question out there among activists and thinkers um, doing real work out in communities. So, you know, what what is a, everything you ever wanted to know about socialism but were afraid to ask, you can ask now by going on our 
uh, on our, our Facebook page um, and dropping us a, a comment uh, or a direct message. There. And we're not hearing enough from people that we, we really want to. So, And, you know, by the way, if you love what we're doing or even if you approve of it without that much passion, um, you can go to patreon.com, T-S-M-H, Talking Strategy, Making History, slash T-S-M-H, and make a, make a uh, subscription. And we will have some tasty bonus things for people who sign up in that way. It just will help us with our modest but necessary budget. Um, and uh, I should at this point acknowledge that Peril has been our intrepid producer. We wouldn't be able to do this without him. And Riley is our engineer. Uh, these people are professionals, and we want to keep them happy. So help us. You keep telling me to climb this ladder. I've got to pay my dues. But as I rise, the stakes get higher. Small